Welcome to You Hate Movies, the podcast in which casual moviegoers, film lovers, and cinephiles argue about movies. Good grief, we love Alfonso Cuaron's dystopian masterpiece, Children of Men. Listen to us fawn over it for an hour. Along the way, you'll get spoilers for Just Children of Men. Guys, Tyler had a great idea for a show. That's a pretty common statement on this podcast. I don't know that I've ever said that yeah, in my I've life, heard that. let alone on the show. When, when we did uh, Abby's Audit, you're like, this is the best idea you've ever had. Yeah, it's but true. was that I, your idea? Yeah. I Let's go back and listen. You credit <laughs> me. In this entire podcast was Tyler's idea. That's true. The fact that us being friends and watching movies. Yeah. I said, guys, let's get together. There's this great thing I want you to do enjoy movies. <laughs> <laughs> We'd never seen a movie until we met Tyler. It's like you just sit and you watch. It's it's cool. So in a the long pictures <laughs> move in a long string of good ideas, uh, Tyler had another one. Believe it or not, this is com- it should come as no surprise, really. That he suggested, wouldn't it be fun if we just did episodes on movies that we all really love a ton and got to talk about how, how we love them so much? You know, we've we've talked about movies that we love that aren't necessarily um, current in the past, but usually to defend them against critics or to pit them against another similar movie. Right. We, we did an episode on Watchmen recent, well, I guess last year, year before. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? The millions God, of episodes. God knows at this point. Yeah. And Chappie, uh, we did one with We Chappie. did an episode of Watchmen merely to defend it to all the people out there who said it, it was no good. Yeah. Right. Or we'll put Fight Club on for Bethany for the first time or something like that. So it's, it's, we find excuses to watch movies we love, but this is just for the sole purpose of hearing our own voices <laughs> talk about how much we like a movie. This is also a public service because we're telling you to go see this movie and then come back and listen to this because you'll be better for it. That's yeah. fair. And I think that you'll see the cultural relevance of the film. For sure. Yeah. Every now and then a, a movie comes along that speaks to you profoundly as a piece of filmmaking uh, aside from any sociopolitical commentary. And then you find out later that it, that thing's still talking at you. Yep. You know what I'm saying? One of those movies is Alfonso Cuaron's uh, Children of Men. Mm. Which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, everyone at this table is a big fan. Yeah. Yeah, um, let, let me give you some context on how much I love Children of Men. Okay, let's play. It's a contest. If you, if you, did I say contest? No, I Oops. said contest. You it's said contest. Oh, to see who loves it most. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just giving you a, give you perspective on how this. Yeah, movie I love it more than he does. Yeah, like me too. Tell. I'm pulling out my not, shirt to show my <laughs> Children of Men tattoo. <laughs> I'm comparing this movies <laughs> to other movies, not how much I love it compared to how much you love it. No, I win. Let me just let me just finish my. <laughs> it was all my idea. <laughs> so if you listen to our episode on the best movies of 2016, we described our uh, our rating scale for for films, mm-hmm. and we use the moon emoji because it allows you to rank a film with a half moon, right, mm-hmm. or even a third. So we we can work up to five moons, and five moons is like that movie was really good, but we reserved a special place for the best films where you can actually go higher than five moons, you can <laughs> then level up to proper stars. Because mm-hmm, right. the star emoji, you know, is just it just feels so appropriate. But only five stars. Like a movie can't be one star, which is slightly over five moons. It's five moons, and then it is five full stars right. at once all you, times. Once you get up to five moons, and you feel like it deserves more, right. you can level up to five proper emoji stars. It's like emoji the stars. amp that goes up to 11. 
I like to think sure. of it, just one I point. like to think of it like those five moons get locked in and the goodness is surging so hard that the moons themselves like are uh, transformed, they into, transformed stars into stars through nuclear yeah. fission. Yeah. So yeah, five, five <laughs> moons is not enough to to praise and celebrate this film. It is a proper five star movie. Hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. In fact, um, it's one of those. Uh, I'm sure you guys have had experiences where you're wowed in the theater. And it's an amazing experience. And then you either realize on the way home or the next time you see it that that was a one-off. Not necessarily that the movie is no longer good, but that that feeling of watching it was reserved for that special experience you had. Movie's still great, but wow, that, you know, it really hit you over the head. Other movies, you realize, like, you watch it again and you're just as floored as the first time. Then you watch it again and now you're seeing more than you realized was in there. Yeah. And for me, Children of Men was both of those experiences. In the, in, in the theater, I was blown away. Like, it was one of those rare times where Abby was sitting next to me and she told me afterward that she kept looking over and then I had like this look of awe on my face. Like, yeah, that my, she said your mouth was hanging open the whole time <laughs> and you were smiling like at this whole dark movie. Yeah. Cause I just, as a piece of filmmaking, I was just like, holy cow. It's astounding. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I watch it, I have the same thought that every time I watch it, I think, how did they do this? I'm so amazed just by the craft of the filmmaking and it's not even just that the, the craft is good, it's the story is good. Because there's a lot of well-made movies out there, but you can't appreciate them if you're rolling your eyes at the story. You right, know? Yeah, like yeah. The Revenant's a great example. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Children of Men is a brilliantly made movie and a brilliantly written story. And so you, you can't help but just be astonished every time you watch it. Right, and the, even like the performances are great. You're like uh, these actors, the Clive Owens and stuff that you've seen in a million things, you just you're lost in the story with them. You forget that he's, right. you know, Clive Owens that you've seen. Yeah. In I'm not even distracted movies. by Michael Caine. You think <laughs> he's he's great. Like, he's normally great. like Michael Caine. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's Michael Caine. You know, even at some points in like the Christopher Nolan trilogy, you're like, oh, Michael Caine. I'm kind of distracted by you being very Michael Caine-y. And in this one, I'm just like, <laughs> whoa, yeah, you're just this crazy he's old hippie. He's finally not Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a big reason why we think that this episode is important is because Children of Men is an astonishing film. But unfortunately, when it was released in the theaters in 2006, it did not receive the celebration it deserves. No one went and saw it. Did anybody see it in theaters? Josh, you said you did. We mm -hmm. did. I Abby, did. You did? Yeah. Did you see it in theaters, Matt? No, I did not. Now, this Matt is surprising. The, the status quo. <laughs> I'm I am very it. middle of the road, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it twice in theaters. In oh, like the same, he loves I it saw, more. I saw it three times. Three, three times? times? Oh, I That's forgot. Right. I actually saw it five times in I'm theaters. In the, I'm in it. <laughs> but I remember seeing it I in theaters. It. Brie Larson. <laughs> seeing it in theaters. And I was, back then, my, my fondness for movies was probably... It was still developing. A you decade know. ago, okay. sure. We were developing. all young and foolish. I was developing my tastes and, uh, and appreciations for, for the craft. Mm -hmm. And I remember wa watching this movie in theaters being disoriented by it, thinking, what is so different? Why does this feel so real? How is this, how is this affecting me? I'm like, I'm so stressed out in this film. <laughs> how, did, how did they capture all of this? Yeah. I, I honestly had a hard time processing what I was seeing and why I was so like anxious during all of it did you have uh i, I want to ask something right now about the one of the topics of conversation that's been surrounding children and men ever since his release is that we've had plenty of movies that have had long impressive tracking shots before but uh the level of detail and <laughs> technical achievement 
that goes into the extended shots with uh, at least ostensibly no break. Right. Um, particularly the action sequences filled with visual effects uh, really took it to a, a next level. And in the, the yeah. meager amount of conversation that was going on around the movie's release, because I remember it was like snubbed during the Oscar season that year. Um, people were saying, oh yeah, the movie with the crazy long shots in it. Yeah, and to give you context, uh, um, Alejandro Iñárritu, the the filmmaker for Birdman and The Revenant, uh, he has been doing the same thing in those films. Sure. Like, think of Birdman where you're walking down those long hallways following Michael Keaton as he's having right. conversations with a half a dozen different people. And the the shot doesn't cut for like five, ten minutes at a time. That is what Curon did in 2006. And did it better. Did it way better. Way better. You watch The Revenant and you're like, this is amazing. They've got yeah. Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio running through the trees while there's arrows flying past their heads and there's no cuts. And I think that's, that's really impressive. Sure. But Curon, what he managed to accomplish in this is a cinem- cinematography like milestone. It really is. It really is. And for several reasons because... One, there, there's part of not even a cinephile, just an average moviegoer that would be able to recognize if they didn't pick up on it immediately. If you said, watch this, and they realized that they were watching an extended shot, that would be able to admire the technical achievement going on. But the way that he exploits it for more than just a technical achievement, and somehow you don't even need to know that it's an extended shot. The level of anxiety that he man- to manages to, the tension that, Dude, so much. Uh, that he manages to draw, in particular the, the war sequence um, at the beginning of the third act of the film, is like breathtaking. And that you have this sense that Tyler's describing of like being overwhelmed with anxiety for the character. And he builds all that in these unbroken shots. You don't even need to think about the fact that the shot's not cutting. You you get a sense of like, there's no let up and it's, you want to break. That's part it, of the story is to like not let you breathe for like five or seven minutes or whatever. Right, yeah. And the whole thing is, is um, kind of, it's kind of like a portrait of reality. So you can tell that he put a lot of thought and energy into trying to capture reality as much as, as much as he could. And these long extended shots make it feel real. So there's one scene where he's, he's sneaking out of that, that uh, terrorist compound and he's pulling keys out of ignitions and he's pulling spark plugs. I hate it. I hate it. And then he has to, he has to push start the car in order to get it running and three different times. Yeah. And the guys keep catching (laughs) up because it's just like (laughs) goes through a puddle and stops and he has to get out again. It's the most pathetic chase ever. (laughs) Yeah. It's hilarious. He's out in his, in his socks in the mud, pushing the car down the street while they're sprinting after him. Yeah. It's so nerve wracking. Yeah. And then by the end of it, you realize that was all one take. Right. Yeah. That it's a, it's, funny too because the the sequence is purposefully set at sunrise so that there's like a visual indicator of elapsing time right uh that when he first steps outside it's like that first glow mm-hmm. of sunlight um breaking through the the atmosphere by the time they g- finally get out of the compound the sun's finally come up and it it feels like this rapid but drawn out. It, it's just this weird tension between like, for the love of God, get out of there. And at the same <laughs> at the same time, it, it it 
only encompasses a minute or two, and it's got that awful dreadlock guy that's always coming so close to killing him. Yeah. <laughs> so close. Can I kill him? Yeah, can yeah. I take the shot? Can I take the shot? The, uh, the opening scene is just as impressive. The first thing you see is just a crowded coffee shop in what is the, f- the futuristic London, and he's pushing his way through the crowd, and you're just kind of following him, and you just it's kind of slow, and you don't even realize that there's no cuts. And then he walks outside and he's walking down the street and there's people driving by and tuk-tuks and, and giant uh, tuk-tuks are like... I know what it is. I've been to Thailand. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, you were looking listening. at me. I'm like, I'm... For anybody I'm, listening. I'm a well-read uh, international man. A tuk-tuk man. is like a, a motorized cart that is popular it's a rickshaw. in South, Southeast Asia. It's a rickshaw, but on a motorcycle yeah. or a Vespa or something. So the streets of London are full of tuk-tuks and it's this crazy like futuristic image of London and you you still there's no cuts but with all of these moving pieces they set off an explosion yeah, yeah. it's astounding how many things they managed to get right in order to to capture that shot right there's an interview with the producers and he was honestly surprised He's like i didn't I can't believe we did it. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe we pulled it off. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. His decision to favor handheld cameras is also amazing because there, there's a long-standing conversation about handheld cameras tend to create a, a vibe of gritty realism, and sometimes I agree. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, that's that's true, but it also seems to me that it becomes a lazy excuse from time to time. It's like. Look, it's a handheld camera, so now it feels like a documentary. It's like, no, it doesn't. Now I'm just reminded of the fact that there's a camera there because right. some guy's holding it. You know, if you look at a movie like uh, the Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is almost entirely on Steadicams, um, that's a good use of commitment to a particular style of, right. of camera use that is invisible. You don't think about the fact that most of the movies set on a, the cameras right. are set on a Steadicam until afterwards someone tells you and you go, yeah. oh, yeah, I get that. Right. But in Children of Men, the use of handheld cameras becomes something of a a unique perspective for the audience because we're meant to kind of follow this protagonist of Theo, um, you know, Clive Owen's character. And most of the time the camera is on or with him. uh, It's situated on him or through his perspective. But then, and the camera will even like follow him. It's almost like a, ca- a cameraman runs alongside him or kneels down it's when he's avoiding documentary gunshots. style, right? But then there are these unique moments where you'll be following Theo. Theo will continue as the cameraman heads in a different direction, or he turns around and surveys the scene that until now the audience had no idea was there, and suddenly you're like, "Whoa, wait." Uh, I didn't realize like there's there's people in cages being executed. We right. we see something that he doesn't even get access to, and it's this little bit of world building that's like uh, the level of subtlety and explaining what's going on in the world of Children of Men is beautifully yeah. done. So the the story, just to summarize, is uh, about a world that has crumbled. The infrastructure of the world has crumbled because there are no more children. Somehow the human race has become infertile. Right. And so London is the only one that it says soldiers on. And so we follow him through the streets of London. And like you said, it's this, this new dystopian world is the profoundness of this, this world is found in like the ambiance of each scene. It's the subtleties of the background, like the contrast of him in the foreground and then what's happening around him. And, if you don't pay attention to those details, you totally are missing everything that's going on. Yeah, which makes it uh, 
a really exciting movie to watch again and again and again. Yeah. Because right. not unlike um, a movie that's just like packed to overflow in a good way, I think we actually said this about Zack Snyder's uh, Watchmen that you watch it on fifth and sixth viewing and you're like, I just noticed that in the background <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. mention this. Um, yeah. But the beauty of, of Children of Men that feels like classic filmmaking to me or like you know someone today like a Christopher Nolan or that's not handing you force-feeding details through exposition, at least not from start to finish, there's moments in Children of Men that are uh, huge bits of the the entire thrust of the plot that you have to work out through little morsels that they give you, in particular, right. like the Human Project. One of the premises of the movie is that there's mis this mysterious organization called the Human Project that may or may not have some of the answers to this weird plague of infertility. And if they can just get this uh, pregnant character, Key, to the human project, they would know what to do with her. Of course, there's no conversation where two characters sit down and go, here's what the human project is, <laughs> here's what's going on with them. It starts subtly where someone's- Or even the, what the solution is right. if she gets there. Yeah. The You're most you like, get is a, a joke from Michael Caine right. about the human project might be eating storks and that's why there's no more babies. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they, it's funny. He, it's funny. the most exposition about who they are yeah, you really get. And in that joke, that's that's like brilliant writing because in that joke, he's like saying the type of people that might be at the human project. Right. So you get an idea that it's, it's like, like oh, made yeah, sure, up scientists of, and exactly. philosophers and sociologists. And, sure. and Theo's like, interrupts the joke to, s to balk at the idea that the human project exists at all. Right. So in this funny little bit of dialogue over a joke, we now understand there's a thing called the human project. Some people don't believe it's a real thing. It might be made of scientists and thought leaders and that may they might be onto something. Maybe not. You know what I mean? Instead of yeah, them hitting brilliant. the head. Right. There's a lot of that peppered throughout. Uh, well, and then the, the use of um, like overheard radio and it's news, news to explain like yeah. the, how the the rest of the world's in disarray to explain even overheard is just when he's on the bus the stuff about it might be your dentist or your maid and it talking about all the illegal immigrant stuff and just like Fuji's. yeah Fuji's like that that's that's the the way that britain is keeping the country so safe is by completely closing its borders right. and then you see that acted out in one of those shots where he's on the train and the camera just kind of abandons Theo and just pans around the cages of Fuji's yeah. and then all of them being taken to the and prison And there's camp. other little things like when he would say uh, or ask her were your parents in New York when it happened and right. that's yeah. all there's happened we're like oh okay well New York's not there anymore. There's right. a lot of exposition found in the newsreels or in newspaper clippings stuck to walls when we go into um, Michael Caine's house I forget his name Me too. Name. Jasper. Jasper. Thank you. When we go into Jasper's house we learn so much about who Jasper is just by a slow pan of all the newspaper clippings on his wall. Right. Yeah. And from that, you see he's a political activist or journalist. He was a political cartoonist. Cartoonist, mm -hmm. because he had that thing his called the stars. His wife was a photojournalist. Yeah. Yeah. Right, who had been tortured. If you pay attention to these things, you yeah. see. And then even in the newsreels, there's, there's an image of New York and, a, and an atomic cloud. There's also atomic fallout in Africa. There's all sorts of stuff. There's there's even this crazy thing that I noticed recently with uh, Quietus. It's yeah, this weird this company. Suicide yeah. pill it's a pharmaceutical Yeah, it's a pharmaceutical yeah. company that provides suicide pills because everybody's just resigned to, to this fate because there's no more children. Right. So essentially everyone knows humanity is dying. There there is a date for extinction right. not that far in the future. So they just said, Great. If you want to kill yourself, 
we've commercialized it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what's so pills. awesome about it. It's like the, the industries are commercializing the end of the world right. and making money off of it, even though it's like there's a time bomb. Let's just make money off of it anyway. Right. But then there's even like there's more to um, – and this says a lot about the subtlety of like the set design and the the, the uh, subtlety of the futurism that they add to the story. It's almost like a character in the in the film, where you're you're looking around at these these environments and you see graffitied on the walls. Uh, the last one to die, please turn out the light. So you realize. I loved just, seeing that graffiti yeah. this time. I hadn't seen it before, and I was like, "That's so good." Yeah, it's just so dark. Yeah, and then there's um, in very English fashion. There's a lot of. Um, guidelines for how to like keep calm or keep, keep calm and calm. carry on yeah. but it's also stuff like uh avoiding fertility tests as a crime it's the same style of sign you see all over the city it's like this this infrastructure has collapsed and they've had to create these new regulations but then you're also seeing the way they interact with like new technologies and and um and the way that they play their part in all of this the way that things are communicated that is so fascinating to me how it is the future, but it's still so familiar. It's not inventive. It's 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 like a reference to what we know now, but how dark and depressive, depressing, and just yeah, hopeless. Because right. yeah, if the last spiral, if the last baby was born in two thousand and eleven, no, sorry, two thousand and nine. My math is bad because baby Diego was eighteen, right? It's the set in twenty twenty seven. Yeah, it's set in twenty twenty seven. So 2019, the last or 2009, the last baby was born. Yep. So like you think about, so it's being made in 2006. So they're guessing probably three years into the future is the only innovation that had happened because there would be no, like after the human race stops reproducing, no one would be like working on anything. So you're just like, right. okay, sure. Yeah, there could be stuff on the side of buses like that look like that or there could be so, that weird cube game that that kid was playing at dinner just saying technology <laughs> ceased to Probably. advance like why would anyone bother innovating anything if they're like everyone's dying right. the schools no need the school it. system clearly went into disarray the, yeah. the, the 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 elementary school that they visit in the film is just totally overgrown there's no point right. and, yeah. the youngest person is 18 years right. old yeah. so, so no right. one's been in elementary well, school so for 10 children. years pieces of in infrastructure are collapsing so you think that because children aren't being born, everyone just gave up and I, right away. I think so. Or well, like, so there's some people who are carrying on like his friend, the government guy who's like trying to save all the art. Right. That was super fascinating just to see how the, the English government immediately went out into the world and collected right. all the Right. But as for like, so I don't think they're giving up though because you see the fertility test thing. That means there's somebody's trying to fix it. It's still hard. And they're like, but yeah, maybe you can right. tell, and it's, that's the statement on like the, the people in the movie, like, London is one of the only cities left. Yeah. And they're so like... like Because they closed their borders. Right. And and Clive, what was Theo is just like, he doesn't care. He's just like a, a jerk that like doesn't do his job. Right. And he's, he's like... just a government drone. You know, well, he's just like, like, and their people are just like going about their lives. I like, love they, that. Any person living could be the last person alive at this point. I love just that like, he whatever. used the death of that guy who he didn't care about Baby. to get out of work early. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> said he was a wanker. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> he was a wanker. It's a clean well, podcast. Yeah. Is that what's bad? So, I what's mean, so crazy about that moment is that everybody's mourning the be the death of baby Diego, who was the youngest person on, on the planet. And as he walks out of that coffee shop in the opening scene, it explodes. There's a terrorist attack, an explosion. People died. There's a, a woman walking out holding her arm in, in like a... Cut to the title card, one of the yeah. coolest title cards. So ever. cool. Yeah, the title cards, the closing, uh, opening and closing title cards are amazing. Yeah. yeah. But he goes to work 
Anyway, because that's anyway, just what happens, yeah. yeah. And then the world he goes, in which he lives. He goes and talks to his manager and says, "Can I go home? Baby Diego's really bumming me out." <laughs> Not the explosion that he right. narrowly missed. Yeah, the domestic terrorist attack. I think that's the one of the things that I was celebrating this last go round of watching it um, last night, or was that man it, you the the premise from the P.D. James novel about like a plague of infertility unexplained plague of infertility is obviously the stuff of sci-fi greatness. I mean, that's yeah. just like a, a really cool premise in which to situate a story. Right. It's in like The Handmaiden as well, another phenomenal book about future England where people can't have babies. What are the British people so scared? Well, <laughs> there, there are scientists who claim that fertility rates are slowing in Europe and even Japan, they say. Oh shoot! Well, the, 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 they say that the fertility rate Godzilla. has dropped. <laughs> the fertility rate has dropped beneath the replacement rate. So the radio the, radioactive Godzilla has yeah. made everyone's His atomic breath <laughs> made them all go. A bit well, the the, the thing that's great about it is that you know it, it's almost as though we could waste the whole movie exploring the concept. Yeah. Or we can follow a few characters along a narrow Absolutely. and exciting story. Right. There's only a moment where they actually consider what it could be. It's a it's a moment of exposition with Jasper and Theo where they're just sitting and saying, Well, what caused everyone to go infertile? They're was smoking it their strawberry genetic cough. genetic experiments? <laughs> they said pollution. Was it there's even an implication that it might have been punishment or judgment from some yeah. sort of right, And once again, deity. that's all situated within the joke. And as he's saying, putting these words into the mouth of a character in a joke, he goes, same old, same old, as if to say right. the same speculation we've right. always had. We've, all, we've been doing this for 18 years. Right. Everyone knows but what the, it could or could be. The thing about the premise is that it gives us an excuse to really unpack the, the character of Theo and then to ask some really sophisticated philosophical questions. Because the socio-political commentary... Is, is all there. The idea that like uh, this one country enjoying some level of stability over and against the other countries of the world and then becoming stingy about who they let in and don't um, is Seems obviously... familiar. Yeah, it's, it's ripe with allegory and as pressing now as it was uh, a decade ago. Uh, and it makes a ton of sense. You don't have to be some kind of cinephile or, or, or think too hard to be like, well, I get it. It's the only country that works. People want to get in. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Uh, but the, the philosophical questions that the movie brings up are, are I think, kind of summed up in what Theo says when he's interrupting Jasper's jokes. He, he's ticked off about the idea of the human project. He's terribly nihilistic at this point. Uh, right. when, when we meet Theo. He used to be a political activist, right. but he's lost his way. We learn along the way that he used to have a lot of fire in him. He used to have a lot of passion about a cause. He wanted to change the world, Jasper says. But um, he suffered, he went through some tragic stuff, and he lost his hope in the world. Which and was the loss of his son. Right. So when Theo says to Jasper that he doesn't believe in the human project, it's too late, the whole thing's uh, worthless, and he says something to the effect of, and you know what? Even before this happened, the yeah. whole thing was worthless. So he's lost his hope and in, in he's just got a real bleak outlook on the entire world. And then that makes you realize the same thing that Patrick's bringing up. There's some level of functionality continuing in the world. They're still making and selling suicide kits for some reason. They're still forcing people to take fertility tests. They're ma they've illegalized, you know, the private, the, your, your private uh, citizen rights. <laughs> yeah, to... Uh, not have to take because 
people must be thinking maybe there's a way to stop this. And yet uh, a lot of the world has just uh, given themselves over to the fact that, well, this is it. We're on borrowed time. In reality, that's the case no matter what. We're all going to die. You know what I'm saying? So that, <laughs> that I love this conversation that we have. So but what I'm saying, yeah. imagine we're all, we're in, all the, dying, in the context of the movie, there, there are these people that are just struck by the idea that baby Diego, who was this troubled 18-year-old, is dead. Now that impacts them and their situation in no way, shape, or form. But the idea that the youngest person on the planet, it's just like that much closer to extinction for the human race. Right. And uh, and and Theo is now on a journey to get his hope back. So it's mirrored in his what he used to be. He used to be this political activist, and he was trying to change the world. He's given up on all this, but now he has a new cause, and it's not just political activism. He's going to change the world in an entirely different way, maybe by restoring hope to the human race. That's the theme, right? He, you're trying to f- to find uh, something worth hoping in in all these different people who are fighting for power because you have the english government controlling everybody but then you have the the fishes the terrorist groups who are also trying to right which they said there there are multiple terrorist groups they're just one of many right they're just one of many but even in this terrorist group uh theo's ex-wife or the, the mother of his son julian julian moore she was a a much more uh, even and fair uh, leader to the group, and she was murdered, assassinated so that, by ass- Luke, assassinated, yeah. so that the the other members of this speci- specific terrorist group could radicalize it in order to take on the English government. And Theo's caught in the middle of all these people fighting for power when it all seems lost anyway. Right, and that's when he discovers this young black refugee who's pregnant. Right, right. and his it totally changes restored, it. Yeah. And there is there is where we find the hope. Yeah. And the way that Clive Owen plays the character of Theo is immediately likable, even though he's not likable. Like, something about us as the audience, we sympathize with him immediately. He's a victim. He's, he seems like a sad sort of yeah. person, but he's... Uh, he's he's suave. detached. Yeah, he's suave, <laughs> as they say. And you realize that there's there's some level of redemption being played out in him acting as like a father figure to Key, the pregnant refugee, because part of him is is that old Theo that we never meet in the movie that cares and wants to do something right. And it's not connected to the radicalized terrorist groups or the human project or the British government. He's just trying to do the right thing. So we see in him that he's like a good guy. At his core. And then you realize as the movie progresses that since he's lost a son, part of it also must be that this is a chance for him to save a small child. You know what I mean? There, there's this, this really poignant final moment in the film before Theo dies where he and Key are sitting in a boat and the baby's crying and he's pantomiming to her how to correctly hold the baby so that it won't cry. Mm-hmm. And it's this sad bit of like grief he's got a smile on his face for like the first time <laughs> yeah. yeah or like one of two smiles in the movie like that yeah. and the ping pong and ball bit yeah, yeah and you, that part <laughs> you realize that like he's a dad he's a dad who lost his kid and yeah, yeah that's and like part of the him. flu huh? and you you realize the the significance of his little experience he had with children there are people there are people around that they were the last of the children, so they know right. they don't know what it's like to yeah, have. They've never seen pregnant people or anything. Yeah, they don't know. How, they don't know what babies are like. They were yeah. the babies, and so this 
girl who was the last of her generation, the last of humanity, now has to experience what it's like to have a baby around and things we take for granted that we all recognize she has had no exposure to. So him just saying, pat the baby on the back, it's like a weird moment where she's like, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's and beautiful because he was a dad. He had right. the experience and now he's acting as a father figure to her and to the baby. That <laughs> Does it get an official name other than Froley and... Dylan Bazooka Dylan, Dylan that's right Just in the Dylan, final yeah. one but Bazooka <laughs> she's gonna <laughs> name it Bazooka cause it's yeah. a boy's name yeah. no no no, oh, she, no it's a girl's she wanted to name, name the boy yeah, Froley there you yeah. go Bazooka's a girl's Froley name is a man's name yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that ending scene is so profound to me I, I feel like it it really makes the movie what it is um, the entire the entire story you're just desperate for hope and the desperation seems to get worse and worse as the story continues, especially as Theo is running around with no shoes, just limping and bleeding yeah. all over the place. The guy has to have a foot bath every time he stops because it's just. Know, I wanted to get him some shoes so bad when he got finally got a, when he got the big <laughs> shoes from that one guy. Human yeah. the project, the Fuji. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the 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 absolute desperation and hopelessness of that ending scene is so good because you have a new mother who is adrift at sea. She's in a boat with a newborn baby and a dead man. And they're just she's just sitting there. Yeah, bummer, huh? Wondering, is this boat ever going to show up? So it's almost as if Alfonso Curon is putting our hope to the test. Like we're there. Yeah, because they wondering. are. They gave us doubt. They said that they said they wouldn't wait, and he said right. they'll come back. Right. And they're like, no, they won't. They said yeah. they wouldn't. What, so are you, what are we doing? We're there with this girl adrift at sea knowing that if this boat doesn't show up, she is in serious trouble because the, the city she just left was just bombed under yeah. 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 And so we're, we're left to wonder, do we have anything to place hope in? Should we hope for this ship to arrive or is all lost? And then the ship, very smartly named Tomorrow, yeah. appears out of the fog and it's like, okay. Right, and then it well ties done. a whole, this great story is like we were saying, the the reason London has survived is because they locked out all refugees and then the only hope is a refugee. Like the, the thing they're trying to yeah. keep out is the only thing that's going to keep them alive. And it's like this great statement, mm-hmm. you know, it's just great. Yeah. I like, and, and part of the reason that the fish terrorist group, uh, are able to manipulate key into staying with them early on is by, um, scaring her, into saying that the British government would just take the baby or they would take her and eventually take the baby. They would never acknowledge that right. the first baby to be born was born to a black refugee. And yeah, they uh, give the baby to a wealthy black woman and say it was hers. Right. Yeah. 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 So a wealthy black English woman. Yes. Right. Not which he was African, which, yeah. And yeah. It, it seemed to be the case that like, as you're watching it, you're like, yeah, that, that, that seems likely, but you also realize uh, almost immediately that something is fishy going on. They they have a s- <laughs> uh, good one. <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean to. It was well, a clever pun. I'm, I'm really fishy, good. right? Because yeah, the terrorists. Yeah. They have selfish ulterior motives in, in the whole thing. The only characters that you can find without selfish ulterior motives are Julian, who we lose <laughs> very <laughs> so swiftly. early on, and th- that's one of those uh, moments where you're like, oh, well, the movie's gloves are off. If they're willing to do this. Yeah. within moments of the first bit of r- true conflict, then the stakes are very high. It's not going to follow a predictable pattern. Right. Right. And it didn't. And it didn't. 
Uh, so we lose one of the only trustworthy characters right away. And then you have the dreadlock midwife. Yep. Who is likable, but you don't know what to really think about her. Yeah, because yeah, she also trust seems her, like, to be some kind of new she age. she trying to do her Tai Chi religious. and she couldn't. She, and she so trips over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that part's funny. But those, those are the parts yeah. that make you like, oh, she's like, she's lovable and she's trust. For some reason that makes you like trust her. She's yeah. like, oh, she's like willing to try yeah. Tai Chi. And, and, and that, even that scene says so much about Theo because he's invited to mock her. And he says, and she's, uh, Someone asked her, asked him, like, "Oh, is she is she like graceful?" And he looks, and she trips, and instead of saying like, "No, she's a bumbling idiot," he says, "Sincere." I'm like, "Oh man, he's just a nice guy. Yeah. He's a and good guy." His delivery is always so funny. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so dry. Yeah, yeah. And Theo is a interesting hero in the story too, because he he almost plays this character like a zombie. Zombie and flip flops, you know, he's just so emotionally scarred. Should have called it that. Cla- classic <laughs> zombie and flip flops trope. So emotionally scarred and so like understated, yet, yet still confident in his ability to get out of difficult situations. He's running through a war zone, knowing when and when to advance and when to hide. I'm, I was impressed by his seeming, uh, his seeming aptitude with street smarts to, yeah. to be able to get in and well, out there's of a situation. there's a hero in there yeah because when right. we meet him he's trudging through the the last little bit of life lost all hope not only in his own life and what he's gone through but with the world itself and key is slowly drawing something new out of him to hope for and uh, it, it that's why we get this interaction with nigel so that we won't be bummed on theo altogether it's nice to see him smile and Ha, you know, have a friend for a moment when not Nigel Jasper. Why did I call him Nigel? Is he I called that in something else? There's another Nigel in the movie. Maybe in I just like the idea yeah. of uh, all Nigel's the guy, the rich guy, right? Just yeah. collecting the art. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that is. Nigel. Yeah, he's got Pink Floyd's pigs floating out. Yeah, outside. Oh, did you the notice the Banksy that they had? Yeah, yeah, which is pretty significant because in '06 Banksy wasn't like a mainstream. He was in England. Name. Okay, we knew we knew who he was because yeah, because I. I knew about Banksy before I left England and I left England I in 2006. I knew about Banksy before you left from I'm sure you did. I knew about the bank. Right. And the <laughs> sea. Yeah, and the sea. <laughs> this so art collector yeah. is, a great, is a great moment of that philosophical question because uh, I, th- I thought this time around I really had never noticed this bit of conversation that they have where he's got all this crap in his house. He's got Michelangelo's David, which has been damaged in the process right. of moving. He's movie. got a prosthetic leg. Yeah. Fake, fake which thigh. Is, which is fun. And he's yeah. got all this art. He's got Pink Floyd's pigs floating outside right. of his house. Which is weird because they weren't, that's not actually real art. That was just an album cover. I never really got that. He just wanted to make the album cover be real life. Yeah, it's, just, it's significant to him. Sure. You know? all right. So he he's out there uh, admiring this little world he's built up for himself. And Theo can't possibly imagine why in the world. He's like, why do you do this? Like in a, in another he said, few years. He said no one's going to be around to look no at this. No one will be right. around to look at this. And he's like, I just don't think about it. Right. And then you realize like, oh, the movie's actually asking a bigger question that's like, the same is true either way. This guy can collect all this stuff and he will die and it'll be gone and won't do him any good. And, and that's the mentality that many people have. I just, I don't actually think about things. Keep calm like and carry that. on. Yeah. It's pretty profound when you think about it, guys. It's, I mean, it's a pretty <laughs> profound movie when you think about it. Yeah. You know, when I watched it uh, the first time, I was bummed out that Sid took that turn because Sid was making me laugh for a little Yeah, I, Sid, I loved Sid. I loved Sid. He's like, 
no, if, if you're gonna go in here, you need Fuji faces. Yeah, sad yeah. faces. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> Sid was great. Does yeah. it kind of seem to you like a poor man's Brian Cranston a little bit? <laughs> sure, maybe. Those those scenes though with Sid, uh, <laughs> when when Theo was running away from him and he's trying to push his way through oh that door, <laughs> and he can't get the door open, so yeah. he's like squeezing through, and then you start to see bullet holes hit the door. Yeah, and then he falls down and just narrowly escapes and then Sid <sighs> comes through and he hits him in the face with that battery. <laughs> Freaking car battery, oh man. My gosh. That, that part made me go, ah! That's like, like even that's last night. I another was like, one of oh. those, so, so much stress in yeah. this movie. I'm like, Sid's getting out. Sid's We're small. Sid. He's going to be able to get out of that door. <laughs> All right, <laughs> so let me ask you this. Abby was saying this before we started. What do you guys think of the baby? Oh. The CG baby. CG baby. The baby's bad. The baby doesn't hold up and in fact, it's distracting. I disagree. I think that the, the baby is fine and the car windshield is fine and both those instances of cg took me out of this movie less than grand moff tarkin took me out of rogue one that is absolutely absurd <laughs> no you don't have eyes <laughs> whoa <laughs> i got two very good eyes uh, because i think that this that story was so enthralling i was like i was aware that it was a cg baby but i was like mm, don't care because I'm, I'm in this i i think that in Overall, this film is a testament to Curon's um, courage. Sure. <laughs> he was really brave to take on this film and to do these long shots and to try and capture this, this moment in culture. And I think that for him to have brought in some old, not newborn baby, some three-month-old baby or just even a fake baby would have been the wrong decision. I oh, think that no, I can't fault him for wanting to exploit the latest yeah. technology we had to offer. I, I think it was brave of him to give us a shot where you see this baby coming out yeah, of a, the there's, womb. There's Ooh. a birth canal shot. And, yeah, and it's, it, is, it is as newborn as a baby can get with the steam and the goop coming up off of this yeah. baby. Yeah. And I, I say, yeah, it's for 2006, it looked good. It doesn't hold up now, but I'm, I'm not going to say he made the wrong decision. No, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, it's... The in a movie full of visual effects that are absolutely convincing and incredible looking, uh, it's a bit of <laughs> it's a bit jarring the way that the I don't know it's just something about the way the baby moves and its mouth moves when it cries. Yeah, it looks like face. a sock puppet. Sure, it's I mean I'm bad. I'm not saying man it looks like a real baby. I'm just saying <laughs> when I'm in it in the moment. It doesn't. Yeah. That baby doesn't take me it's out. It's not like the baby in American Sniper. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not like the baby in Train Spotting. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think they probably should have just lit it a little bit darker. Yeah, just put it in there's the only, shadow. There's only like yeah. two lanterns in the room. Just a tad right. darker. But I wanted to bring up when you guys were talking about the car battery thing is that the use of violence in Children of Men is one of my favorite examples of the effect. The effective use of violence in a movie for several reasons visually i think violence can this sounds like a, a crazy person thing to say but there's a certain movie aesthetic to violence uh that adds like a it it ups the stakes if we actually see violence sure yeah violence. instead of seeing a pulled punch or yeah. anything like seeing that, julianne yeah. moore get shot in the neck and then bleed to death adds a lot of gravity to the right the exactly story. that would not have been if it would have been typical like you know, born style, shaky cam. We see a bullet go, she falls over, and that's the end of that. Like, yeah, right. It, I agree. Is, it was deeply disturbing right. and haunting. And we saw Luke shoot those two police officers that stopped them, like blim blam. And I was like, okay, dang, right. he just killed some cops. So the the use of violence, the blood, sp 
spattering on the camera lens. The, Which was the an way accident. The, the, right. The, the bludgeoning with the car battery, the, uh, the multiple gunshot wounds that just drop people like flies and the woman carrying her arm out. It, to me, is like this great uh, towing the line of like violence for shock value to elicit this like visceral reaction from the audience to be like, oh, my God. Um, it didn't feel uh, uh, excessive, not that I would be like upset about like excessive, but it feels like it's enough to shock you and keep you in that space of like, oh, wow, when you see something, you know, you, you kind of recoil from it, whether sure. than be like, well, fine, it's another, you know, disembowelment, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes the movie so much more powerful. I, I think that his decision to go hard R to show like gunshot wounds and uh, the, the car battery to the face to make us go, ah, that, that, that kind of stuff makes the movie hit such a deep, deep gut level that it would not have, you have to admit, if you lift that violence out of the movie, it would feel like this soft, right. like Adventure palatable. Movie, yeah. yeah. So I'm I agree. And it's anything but when you consider the story and the state of humanity. Exactly. Right. It would have been inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. It's all very, it seemed very honest and uh, just right for this, this situation. It didn't seem far-fetched or underplayed at all. Speaking of far-fetched, uh, when we were watching this movie in separate houses to get ready for this podcast and just enjoy the movie, some texting was going on because she couldn't make it tonight, but Bethany Allen watched Children of Men for the first time, presumably all alone in her apartment. On her tiny TV. By, you know, calling it up. Yeah, on I don't think she knew. She just saw, <laughs> she didn't know anything about it, right? She was no. like, is this the right one? And right. she was a screenshot she had of her on Amazon like H- HBO Go or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it would be great, given her absence, to read some of these texts that she sent. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so here's a bit of Bethany's running commentary. We're all watching it at, at around the same run, you know, runtime. We, we hit played near the same time. Bethany asks at one point, this is a lot to take in. I'll try not to ask too many questions, but I can't make any promises. So she's already confused, you know, or not confused, but yeah. Confused. She's all, she's a very vocal processor for movies. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be asking us questions about what was just said in a film without, without putting in the effort to wait and see if the film answers yeah. it. For it makes, her. it makes Tyler upset. Yeah. So I'm always saying, Bethany, just watch. They're about to tell you. <laughs> uh, she, a little while in, writes, she dies? <laughs> what is happening? So already she's upset because the character of Julianne was shot in a car. Then she says, why is the world falling apart because of infertility? And uh, <laughs> we said, because of impending doom. She says, that's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is it sad. Is, yeah. Then yeah. later on she said, oh my gosh, baby on board. <laughs> So I guess she was right. <laughs> impacted right. by that in the part in the barn. <laughs> yeah, which is an amazing moment. It's a very it's good a, it's a unique setting to to reveal the pregnancy of a young of a young woman while she's standing amongst cows. Yeah, <laughs> infant it's, cows. Yeah, it's like a maternal yeah thing. Ta- talking cows, about how dairy cows talking about yeah talking about how they get the milk out of them. Yeah. Uh, later, she f- she says out of nowhere, I don't even remember what what scene it was. This is so sad. So I asked, what is? She said, the movie. I need a little hope. And then she interrupted she gets it, it hope. by asking, who are the guys shooting everybody? England government people? And I said, oh, well, they're refugees, terrorists in the army. She says, got it. Thank you. Like that, that settled. <laughs> yeah, that that settled that. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> and then this is the best part. At the end uh, of the movie, right after it ended, I stood up on my couch at home and I see this text pop up that said, wait, 
did he just die too? I have so many questions. A moment passed, and then she texted in all caps, that was the whole movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ends with a, an abrupt title card just like the beginning. Yep. And you got to, man, when you guys first saw the movie and they hit you with that second and final title card, did you just feel like this? wave of satisfaction and like standing ovation type yeah. of bravo, bravo. Yeah. every time i feel that same way especially when they start to fade in the children voices because there's mm. this moment in the film where they say this is what the world's become without the sound of children laughing everywhere everyone has lost hope <laughs> and so they bring that in at the end and you're like yeah that's that's profound what's interesting to me in the film is that uh it doesn't necessarily tell you what to think you're following Theo and Key in their experiences, and they're simply trying to get from one point to another and survive the way that the world has become. And so um, Alfonso Curon is, is really using the, the background and the ambiance of being shot to really kind of provoke emotion, probably many emotions. In a lot of ways, it's probably a warning, but he's not telling us how we should feel He's exposing us to a portrait of ourselves, which is so fascinating in a film like this with such s profound, complicated uh, social structures collapsing and not preaching at us, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the, the opportunity for overt social, socio-political commentary, and not just commentary, but uh, preaching and, and preaching to the choir is abundant there's so many opportunities for him to pull like a, if you think of other um directors who use genre movies to make statements whether it's george romero night of the living dead or like seth rogan with sausage party it's just like <laughs> we we get it you've got something to say uh, the uh, alfonso's created a world and the world is believable this and yeah. circumstantially you can make perfect sense of it and then you can follow that logic into a, a, a plethora of different places and feel like you're picking up on uh, a certain sort of, you know, heated commentary even. Yeah. But it's, it's graceful. Yeah. What's um, interesting is that this film is 11 years old now and we can recognize a lot of the current um, events in the world to be very familiar to what's depicted in this in this film heck even <coughs> brexit was literally britain shutting their borders and right. saying we don't want any <laughs> right. more refugees and even trump saying we're going to protect our borders we're going to build a wall we're going to build a wall was around the uh, refugee camp but curon he he qu quotes in an interview he's saying it's not a prophetic piece it's a compound of studies and essays of other people around that time it being 2006 so he's saying that this is already happening but it just so happens to be yeah. becoming so aware now with right with the west catching up to what's already been happening in other parts of the well, world because it was the book was written in 1992 and that's one of the things that a lot of people call sci-fi they'll shorten it to sf and then they'll start calling it speculative fiction mm -hmm. where it's just a that the idea that it's writers who are saying there is a possibility that the future of our world could turn out like this. Right. And it seemed like the author was quite astute. Yeah. And uh, it depicts a world full of violence when there doesn't seem to be any reason. Abby had a great point about that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the, you know, the world's ending, all these people are 
thinking that extin- extinction will be shortly upon us. They're clearly doomed. Yeah, and they're still fighting over what? What? Yeah, what left yeah. is what and not, remains, and not just like random terror ta- terrorist attacks here and there, but like full blown like you know fighting. Yeah, where was war. that fight going down? Where were they? Where was the region that they're taking the refugees At to? Bex Hill is the southern coast. Yeah, it's on is like right? the south the south coast below London. Yeah, it's like it had become Calcutta. <laughs> 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 Pretty much, no. yeah. Right. I liked it. I mean, I like as the premise is is very like third world and uh, civil war, just torn torn apart. Yeah, it was very believable in that way. But it's yeah, you're right, Abby. That the world is already full of too much violence as it is. There's already wars raging. But once we see the civilized civilization, humanity is doomed. Not just civilization, all of humanity is doomed. We don't stop fighting. Yeah. Yeah, you would think like, oh, we're all going to die in about 20 to 60 years. Why don't we just live peacefully <laughs> for the rest of this time? And I think that that, <laughs> uh, that concept of just out-of-control violence uh, has a really significant moment in the film where uh, Theo runs into that, that besieged apartment complex and yeah. the refugee camp, and he goes in to get Key out of the building and he can't do it without people seeing that she has a baby because, of course, the baby is screaming from all the tanks firing at this building. Dust <laughs> and, and all and the so people dying around. They're limping out. You know, he's still in. He's still, it's of course, got flip-flops. <laughs> no, he got shoes at this point, but he's still, his feet are still being torn apart. And he gets shot during that time. Right. Luke shoots him. Uh, but they, yeah, it's, it's so amazing that these people who are just without hope just trying desperately to kill one another, they all stop. There is a, a total ceasefire when they realize that there's a baby. Everybody is just caught in wonder mm-hmm. at what they're actually seeing. Yeah, they don't try to interact. They don't try to stop the situation or anything. They're just they speechless. They clear a path. They, yeah. let them, yeah. right. they let them go through. But as soon as they pass, it starts again. Yeah, the fighting yeah. resumes. Right. Yeah. Seconds it's later. a momentary <laughs> salvation, but it, it didn't last. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like that. I th- I I assumed that that was very deliberate. That it's almost like the baby creates a magical field of peace, right? As Within it a passes, certain, and yeah, as soon as radius. it has passed, the violence picks immediately back up again. Because they don't know anything else. Yeah, yeah. and Is can that? I tell you why I think that that's talking about the end of the movie? Yes. Yeah. Well, please. Because I feel like um, obviously there is one pregnant. You feel person. like, or you think? I think, with my brain and my heart. Okay. <laughs> Thinking and feeling it as yeah. a true we, film we lover. <laughs> we accept <laughs> both of them. You love the films you love. Uh, that, um, hold on, you made me lose my, my train. <laughs> you were going to tell us about the ending. Oh, yeah. So there's one, this one pregnant person that they've all looked to as this hope and that you are all interpreting as hope. They wanted it to be a flag. Yeah. I feel like this isn't going to be a trend, that there was this one thing and everyone was looking to it as this like hope. But how is one baby going to change the world who who is that baby gonna make well, because because it shows <laughs> that that key is fertile therefore they're probably hoping more than just her are fertile so they'll probably re-up like their desperate look for people that or perhaps some secret lies in her yeah like maybe she has some kind of dna code the fact that the the baby is a girl 
it's likely that she will have passed that on now too because it's it's implied in the movie that it is the women who have become infertile and there's a problem with women so the fact that there is a fertile mother who has hopefully given birth to a fertile daughter and there's hope for um the hatred towards refugees because this mother is a refugee and so there might be yeah, renewed all that, investment Abby. in like bringing refugees into england and hoping that they carry fertility with them that's good but i'm with her the okay. uh, <laughs> that, that's a solid that's, that's a solid reason that's to too much of a political statement <laughs> actually, <Patrick. laughs> I, th- I think that like it was that's all they had they're grabbing onto because that's just all they had right, that's it's all like they knew even though it's preserver. like what what if what if yeah. this is she's oh, pregnant wow. she has a baby like totally. that's it we don't even know what the human project does. See, right. it, that boat uh, might not have been from the human project. Yeah, like, <laughs> sure. Could have just been a boat in a shipping lane. Uh, the way that I, I read it, that ending, um, was that everybody was fighting for access to whatever secrets that Key would, would potentially unlock. They're all trying to grab at the hope. Right. They're all trying to grab at hope and manipulate it for their own purposes. The human project seemed to be the only... Well, at least the most pure of all of the organizations left on the planet. And the big conflict here is that everybody's fighting over who does and does not belong because of all these borders that we've laid out for ourselves across the globe. And whether or not your birthright or your paperwork say you belong in this region of the world, it will dramatically affect how you're treated. Key, ending up with the Human Project, and the human project having access to this baby, in my mind, strikes a new um, beginning to globalization. That all these borders will crumble and they'll all look to the, the human project, aptly named human project, defined by being human. And it'll, it'll essentially usher in an age of peace based on globalization and not on borders. That, that's a great hope. But it's just that. It's just like yeah, it could be. All yeah. all hope is. I think it's supposed to that part in the end where it shows the baby go out. Everyone ceases for a second because it's like their hope, and then it goes back to chaos. Is exactly represented in the baby itself, meaning like everyone's gonna look to this baby or key or whoever for this hope, and Jeez, it's all gonna go back. Bummer, Abby. Come on, don't be depressed. Or the like key that. is gonna be taken by the government and like abused for her body because she can make babies now and oh my gosh gosh I hope it's not. a bad sequel <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't wanna. it could have been a government boat thanks for listening to you hate movies hey do you like children of men half as much as we do you, you don't like it more than Tyler does apparently uh, have you even seen it if you haven't why did you listen to this podcast it's a terrible thing to do to yourself and your movie going experience Leave a comment on this episode at youhatemovies.com while you're there. Subscribe to the podcast and look at our pictures and read our blogs and buy our t-shirt and show us that you care and that you support this thing so it doesn't go away forever. You only have yourself to blame.